The Astrea Trilogy, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. Book Three, The Wanderer's Curse. Chapter Fifteen, in which Astrea takes command. For the moment, nothing seemed more important to Astrea than just to sit and breathe. He could see, but it was as if he were looking down a long tunnel. Slowly he understood that the light in his eyes was from sunlight that dazzled off the wake through the stern scuttles. He half expected to see Oron silhouetted in front of him, waiting to start the day's navigation lesson. But as his vision cleared, he saw that the master's chair was empty. Someone squeezed his hand, so he squeezed back, holding on tight, lest he slide back down into the blackness that lurked at the edges of seeing. A confusion of noises came from behind him. He turned and slowly captured an incoherent sequence of images. Cam, Damon, and Walt were struggling with Mirak on the cabin sole, all of them shouting at once. Cam was on top, still wearing his shapeless jacket, blotched with Arneb's blood. Astrea's vision wavered, but he began to take in more of the confused scene. Dabby stood looking down on the writhing bodies, the collar of his black shark-skin jacket framing his youthful face. Astrea irrelevantly thought that Dabby's shirt was not sewn of cloth as fine as that made in mattress. Then Walt's back was in the way, his dark blue jacket tight over his heavily muscled shoulders. Damon emerged from the pile of bodies, staggered to his feet, took a quick step backwards to regain his balance, and fell over black sharkskin-covered legs, which Astrea decided must belong to Adramin. But the man who sat so close that he was almost a part of the struggling bodies was no longer the sleek, saturnine sailing-master Astrea had known. His black jacket hung from one shoulder, his shirt was stained and torn, and blood had seeped through the bandage on his left hand. Astrea saw exhaustion in the slumped back and shoulders, and resignation in the eyes that watched, blinked, and then looked downward at the table in front of him. With an effort, Astrea drew his gaze towards Dabby, whose face was soft with compassion for the man he had thought of as his brother. Becky's face showed a different kind of concern as she looked at Dabby. Astrea gradually took more control of what he was looking at. He tried to see Lindy, wondering why he had not done so from the first. Then, tilting his head to compensate for his restricted vision, he looked into her steady, blue-eyed gaze and saw quick movements of her lips asking him if he was going to be all right. Astrea tried to talk, but coughed instead. She squeezed his hand, and he knew that it was she who had drawn him back to consciousness. Across the cabin the pile of struggling bodies had dissolved into four separate individuals. Cam leaped backwards as a knife slashed the air. Damon struggled to his feet, his right hand clamped on his left arm. Blood oozed between his fingers. "'I got him!' said Walt, and stood up with one big hand across Mirak's face. The other fist came up to deal the blow that would have ended the fight, but instead Walt roared in pain as Mirak bit his palm, twisted around, head-butted him in the nose, and then ran out of the cabin door, spitting blood. Cam, Walt, and Damon jammed into the doorway as they rushed to stop him. 
Estrella heard Mirak take the companionway steps two at a time, shouting as he ran. Walt thumping up the treads close behind him. Mirak's voice came to Estrella indistinctly. Belay that! Away from the recovery gear! He's escaping! Dabby shouted. Estrella's vision was clearing, but he still could not speak. I don't understand what Mirak was trying to do, said Dabby. Everyone started to talk at the same moment. To kill Estrella and blame it on Walt and Cam, said Lindy. Dramin and Dabby, too, said Becky. For the shipstones, said Adramin. But why? Dabby repeated. To be master, Estrella whispered, his voice little more than a croak. None of you knew what he was scheming all these years, because you never imagined that someone who wasn't one of Zubin's descendants would even dream of being master. Mirak knew Estrella has the power, said Adramin. He and I guessed it right from the beginning, but he thought he could use Estrella the way, the way he used me. So he, we, made things difficult. We tried to set Estrella up for a fall. He glanced at Estrella, who was remembering his first day aboard. When you hoisted me to the mast head, he whispered, his voice beginning to return to normal. Adramin nodded. And the race, too. Mirak rigged your boat to fail. I thought Betel had. Mirak, Betel saw what he was doing and fixed it, or some of it. He saved you. Estrella remembered how Adramin had acknowledged the outcome of the boat race. He ran his fingers over his gorget, wincing as it moved against fresh bruises. Adramin mirrored the gesture at his own throat, and Estrella realized that he was hearing a confession as if they were alone. It was the same with the cloak, said Adramin. Merak was working up to killing you, and me too. He'd keep Dabby to work the stones, but with Mufrid out of it, he'd be in command. What was in it for you, Dramin? Cam asked. Why did you go along with him? At first I calculated that if Estrella didn't know how much power he had, I could cheat him out of his inheritance. My inheritance? Estrella asked dubiously. You didn't know Oron had chosen you to succeed him? Estrella shook his head. Surely you knew that Oron was losing control. It had been happening for some time, years. When we found you, he saw his chance to keep his command a while longer by using you while he was training you. That's why he told you so little about the other uses of the stones. The less power you knew, the better. Estrella nodded ruefully, thinking of all the calculations he had made only for Oron to wipe them off the slate. And that's why Mufrid was crazy with hate for you, said Adramin. When he first saw you, he tried to take power from you for the clasp he'd stolen from Alnair, but it didn't work, so he came back to steal your stone, even if it killed you. Instead, he lost it all. Elusive's shipstone, you, Dabby, and then his ship. And he blamed you. He can't have been too pleased with you, Adramin, said Lindy. You stole his crew. He made that very clear said Adramin, looking at his bandaged hand. He didn't like me much, never did. But he feared you, Estrella, because you had inherited Oron's power. And then some, said Cam. It was like Mufrid's head blew up. 
He went all buggy-eyed, and his tongue stuck out, and he was dead before he hit the deck. Australia has the master's power, said Dabby. I'll never be able to do that. Nor you, Dramit. Adramin shrugged. Still unable to speak properly, his throat still aching, Estrella reflected on the immense storehouse of experience, both good and bad, that Oran had represented, and wondered why, instead of being crushed by the thought, he was challenged. "'He got away!' Walt announced. He came into the cabin, dabbing at his bloody nose with the back of his hand, Betel close behind him. "'He sailed off in a skimmer,' said Betel. Estrella waved his hands in what he hoped would be seen as a shrug. "'He'll have his work cut out if he's planning to sail to Charton single-handed,' said Lindy. "'What if he heads back to the village?' Adramin asked. "'You didn't see what happened when he tried,' said Lindy. "'We rescued him. His boat was flat in the water, and he'd lost two crewmen. He's not too likely to try that again by himself. Besides, he knows the village skippers aren't any too keen to do business with anyone from the great ships.' Estrella nodded, grateful that Lindy was saying what he was thinking. Damon came back into the cabin, a fresh bandage on his arm. Mirax heading south,' said Bakel. "'We could still try to catch him.' Estrella shook his head. "'You know best,' shrugged Damon. "'But I'd like to see him towed behind the ship on the end of a rope. "'For a day or so.' "'Estrella's right,' said Lindy. "'No executions.' No rule by fear. In general, I'm right with you, said Cam, but I'd be willing to make an exception for Mirak. You don't know about him, do you? He's the one who did the dirty work of the deep sixing, Andrew told me. Loved doing it, too, according to the lads. Tied their hands, put them up on the rail, and when the old fellow gave the word, shoved them into the wake, and then hung over the rail, watching them drowning. That's what really got to all of them. I should have hit him harder, Estrella heard Lindy mutter. Mirak gave Oron what he called the evidence for all of the sixings, said Betel, who had been nodding agreement to Cam's revelation. The crew was, well, we were afraid of him. Whenever someone crossed him, chances were good that within a month or so he'd be facing charges, and then, well, we never could understand why Oron didn't see through him. Estrella shuddered, because he knew— Mirak was the man who he had thought was his only friend aboard Cygnus, who had taught him to sail the ship's boats, protected him when the crew were out of their minds on Potin, but who had been the worst two-faced deceiver of all. Mirak had been manipulating him from the moment he came aboard, and he had not been the only one under Mirak's control. He had even duped Oron. Estrella stared with a new comprehension at Adramin, who sat opposite, his eyes downcast. He looked up as if he had felt Estrella's glance, and they shared a moment of understanding. They were not related by blood, as they both had been led to believe, but Estrella felt a new kinship with him, one that came from both of them having been victims of Mirak's treachery. "'Sorry I let him go, master,' said Betel. "'He ordered the skimmer in the water. The crew jumped to it, same as they always do for him.' and as it was swung out he jumped aboard and was off. "'Don't blame yourself, Betel,' said Estrella. "'We're well rid of him.' Estrella looked around the cabin. Dabby was on his right, and next to him Becky. Both of them were looking steadily at him. Cam stood beside Walt, 
who was tipping back his head to slow the bleeding from his nose. They, too, met his glance. Behind him, Betel stood expectantly. Even Adramin was looking up at him. On his left was Lindy's level gaze. He was at the center of a long, expectant silence. Dabby, you know much more about the stones and navigation than I do, said Estrella, and nobody's a better sailing master than you, Adramin. Just having a talent to start stones and making them blast isn't enough if I don't have your support. It makes you the master, said Walt. Last time this subject came up, you said I wasn't ready. I was right, then, said Walt, because you didn't care one way or the other. Now you do. You've got a job to do, and you know you're the only one who can do it. That's what the crew thinks, said Betel. You know you can do it, and so do all of us here. So don't backwater, Estrella, said Debbie. Someone's got to do the job, and you're the one who's most likely to do it well. Sorry, Dramin, but there it is. Estrella was surprised both by the conviction in Dabby's voice, so unlike his usual meek manner. Adramin's cheek muscles twitched, but he nodded slowly. Well, Adramin? Estrella asked. Adramin shrugged and nodded again, and Estrella saw acceptance rather than indifference. Behind Adramin's back, Betel swung his fist to his throat, looking fixedly into Estrella's eyes. Walt? Estrella asked. You're Mufred's son. There ain't no distinction, said Walt, but I'm with you. So, Master Estrella, said Dabby, until you have me thrown over the side, I'm under your command. If you do that, said Becky, you're going to have to throw me in as well. I won't be deep-sixing anyone, said Estrella, ever. Well, that's a big flame in relief, I'm sure, said Cam. Now, can we get on with it? So... Estrella, should I call you master now? Damon asked. No, Damon, said Estrella, nor anyone else here. I need you to speak freely. Well, you can be certain sure I won't be calling you Estrella in front of the crew, said Cam. I'll be maintaining the proper respect we all the others ahead of the mainmast. I will never call you my master, Master Estrella, said Lindy very softly. You can be very sure that I will never give you orders, Lindy, Estrella whispered back. He saw Cam wink at Damon, who raised one eyebrow. Both grinned. Adramin turned his uninjured palm upward, as if making an offering. Sit, Estrella, said Adramin. Mufred's dead. Take the master's chair. Your Cygnus. She's yours now. Estrella stood, walked slowly round the table, and sat in the chair that had been Oron's. He was no longer irresolute, as he had been throughout the voyage north. The approval he had just heard had indisputably put Cygnus in his hands, and this time he was ready. From the way the crew had talked to him while he was assessing damage, he was confident that they were ready to accept him as master, and now he had something even more important, acceptance from his friends and those who might have challenged him. He let himself relax into the big chair. Something touched his left leg. He glanced at Lindy. Her left hand was on the table, but not her right. Estrella turned his head as deliberately and slowly as he could and looked into her eyes. Her right eye closed in a conspiratorial wink, 
and he felt her hand pat his thigh twice before she placed her hands demurely together on the table. Now that Dabby knows Mufrid wasn't his father, he needs to meet his mother, and I imagine you're curious as well, Becky. Which has to be true of the other boys from Matris, too, said Damon. Batel produced a cough that clearly had nothing to do with his health, and Estrella responded to the intervention. Uh, begging your pardon, master, the ship's ready for the words. Adramin stirred in his chair and pushed himself to his feet. I'll supervise the heave, too, he said, swaying slightly. And I'll come along with you, said Walt. With your permission? Adramin asked Estrella with an echo of the formal way he had addressed Oron. "'Make it so, sailing master Adramin,' said Estrella. "'We will pay our last respects to our neb together,' he said in the same formal manner. "'Join me astern.' He waited until they left the cabin, watching how Walt provided close support to Adramin without actually touching him. Estrella waited while Dabby, Becky, Cam, and Damon left the cabin, and then reached for Lindy's hand. "'May I ask you to accompany me on deck for the words over Arneb?' said Astrea, softening the formality with a smile. They climbed the companionway together, although Lindy contrived to be a step below him when they arrived on deck. Astrea glanced upwards to see the mainsail shake, and the jib backed. "'Men and women aboard Cygnus!' Hadramin shouted. Twenty heels for Master Estrella!' As he spoke, he brought his hand to his throat, the bandage making the gesture even clearer. The pounding seemed louder to Estrella than he had ever heard it before, coming from under his feet as well as through his ears. He found himself counting, seventeen, eighteen, and without a pause or hesitation, on to nineteen and twenty. He took a breath, but before he could speak a prolonged cheer went up from the men and women of all three ships. Scanning the faces, he could not see any who were not participating, although he noticed that some were staring at him as if trying to discern how the change would affect them. The cheering died back, and then there was silence. Hoping his voice would be strong enough, Estrella began to speak. Men and women, land-born and sea-born, of Cygnus, Silver Swan, and Elusive, thank you. I trust that, with your help, and the leadership of Sailing Master Adramin, Navigator Dabby, and Boat Commander Batel, I will be able to fulfill your expectations. He paused, noticing a few heads nodding judiciously. Our first task together is to say farewell to Arneb, Seaborn, the last survivor of Spindrift. Some of you may have known him in past years. You saw him fall bringing justice to Mufrid, who was responsible for the murder of Arneb's shipmates and family. He paused again, and waited until the whispers were silent. Will Fate of Silver Swan, Batel of Cygnus, and Andrew of Elusive be good enough to join me? Estrella walked to where Arneb's body lay shrouded in grey canvas beside the starboard rail. He took hold of one of the four rope beckets, and waited while the other three joined him. He nodded, and they raised the body to the edge of the rail. Men and women, land-born and sea-born, let us not forget a brave man, a fine sailor, and a valued friend. Arneb of Spindrift, 
Farewell. They tipped the board. The body slid down and splashed into the sea. Estrella murmured thanks to the three who had helped him, and they returned to their places among the crew. "'Sailing Master Adramin,' said Estrella, pitching what was left of his voice loud enough to be heard by the crew, "'would you please resume our course south, where we can refit, refurbish, and provide the crew an opportunity to rediscover their land legs?' "'At your command! Make sail!' His shout was almost drowned out by the sound of many voices commenting on what they had just heard. Estrella heard snatches as he turned to Dabby. Did he say? Back to Charlton, for sure. Sure, leave. Sure, leave. Refit elusive? You'd better take this, said Damon to Estrella, holding out Adramin's ring on the palm of his hand. It fell out of Mufrid's pocket when I was... when I ditched Mufrid's knife. It has to be unlucky, considering what he did with it. The stone's gone sort of dull. It gives me the creeps, but I figured you wouldn't want me to chuck it over the side. Thank you, Damon, said Estrella, understanding what an effort it must have been for him to overcome his fear of the stones. Sailing Master Adramin, a moment, if you please. As Adramin approached, frowning, Estrella held the ring close to his clasp, and it shone once more as he placed it in Adramin's outstretched hand. Adramin said nothing as he looked ruefully at his bandaged hand and slid the ring cautiously as far as it would go onto the undamaged index finger. There was both gratitude and respect in the look he gave Estrella when the fist came up to his throat, the stone gleaming. Navigator Dabby, said Estrella, will you accompany me below to lay in a course southward? At your command, replied Dabby. They walked together toward the companionway, near which Lindy, Becky, Damon, Cam, and Walt had been watching. So, Estrella, said Damon, you've got yourself a ship. Dabby, to show us where the southern ports are, and a shrewd negotiator in Walt, if he signs on. I'm in board, said Walt. Mark you, I've still got to get me pub back for between voyages. Sounds familiar. A family ship, said Cam. What about you, Damon? Astraea asked. What do you want? I'm more a farmer than a sailor, so I'd like to see how the wind blows at Matris, and at my uncle's. He can't live forever. Lindy's lips soundlessly said, Bronwyn, and Astraea heard Cam mutter, Violet eyes. And you, Cam? You can't get rid of me, said Cam. I'm bucking for a promotion as well. Maybe one of them green stones some day. With which in mind, take a look at this. Cam reached into a pocket and pulled out a little leather bag, from which he took a dull green stone and placed it in Estrella's hand. Scarm gave him to me a hang on to you, Estrella. There you does. But we've been right some busy, and I didn't remember until just now. Estrella opened the little bag, recognizing it as the one that had belonged to his father. As he dropped the stone Cam had given him back into the bag, he looked over the stern of the ship back towards the village. He could not go back, ever. Too much had happened, both to him, in his travels, and at the village as well. He weighed his father's bag of green stones in his hand, and he knew what they were. "'We'll set the exact course in a moment, Dabby,' he said. "'I want you to see this.' Estrella led the way to the stern cabin, where he waved them to chairs. He spilled the bag of stones onto the table. 
Stones roll in the tide. Astraea, the puzzle poem, said Lindy. Astraea reached into the drawer for his father's notebook. Dabby looked a question at Walt, who shrugged. Dabby, you've seen my father's little book before. Whether he meant to or not, he set me a riddle. Astraea turned the pages to the poem and read out loud. Hand of Gian Far draws on shore. That's your father, Dabby. Gian Far, Gar, the painter. My father, Estrella's cousin. I suppose my father wrote this after they had split up, and he had come north to the village. Now, star sets in song. Star, Estrella. That's my father. And my mother was a singer. She read it to me from his clasp, my clasp, follow your star. I know about that, said Dabby. Oron knew from his book of who had what stone that you had to be real. There's more, said Estrella, where stones roll in the tide. My father must have collected the stones from the outwash of the village stream. He knew what they were. There, Estrella heard Dabby take a quick breath of surprise. Ring, clasp, and shipstones. Where did you? They're Strayer's dars, said Cam. What he fished out of the village stream where it meets the salt chuck, and I'm willing to bet you that Strayer can light em up. They're worth a fortune, said Walt, standing to his full height to get a better look. And we know where to look for more, he added. But we're not going to talk about it, are we? said Lindy, with an urgent look around the cabin. There was a silence in which they exchanged nods of agreement. Estrella looked down at the notebook and read on. Lindy frowned as if she were not so sure that the secret would be kept, but Estrella's next words cut through her concern. Son of Oron plots a course to the city of the sea. Mofred! exclaimed Lindy. He was Oron's son! Plots is the right word, said Estrella. His plot to ditch Estrella and Gianfar was so that he would be next in line for master. Go on, Estrella, Lindy encouraged. Where dim clasps light no stones. Beats me, said Damon. I can see what you mean so far, I suppose. But clasps don't light stones. Oh, yes, they do, Damon. We just saw it happen to Adramin's ring, said Lindy. And Estrella used his clasp when he lit the stone that Gar gave me. And he lit mine, too, don't forget, said Walt. But my father couldn't light his own stone, the one he gave my mother, said Estrella thoughtfully. You did, Estrella, said Lindy softly. And Dabby lit a ring for me, too, Becky said, waving her left hand. That's all I could do said Debbie. I tried to light a clasp for her, but mine was was too dim, like Oron's. He couldn't start them any more either. So, there it is then, Estrella, said Lindy. You've unriddled your past. Estrella replaced the green stones in their bag, drew the shipstone in its case from his pocket, and handed both to Debbie. Then, may I ask you, Debbie, he said, to make these stones safe in the forbidden room, and then to shape a course that will take us to Matris and your mother, at your command, Master Estrella. 
Dabby and Becky rose from their chairs, nodded, and left the cabin. Come on, Damon, said Cam. There's stuff you have to know about the ship, even though you're only supercargo. As the two left the cabin, Walt grinned at Lindy, winked hugely at Estrella, and in a few strides of his rolling gait was out of the door and closing it quietly behind him. When they were alone, Estrella and Lindy looked at each other in silence for a few heartbeats. Then Estrella stood and looked out on the ship's wake, as he had done on his first night aboard Cygnus. Estrella mused on how differently he saw the coastline than he had aboard the Molly when sketching for Roaring Jack. This time the land was still in sight, the breakers white at the base of grey cliffs, topped by blue-green spruce and pine. Sunlight gleamed between puffy white afternoon clouds and lit the twin headlands that guarded the village. It suddenly occurred to him that his father had seen this same forbidding coastline from a dismasted skimmer. Lindy came to his side and put her arm around his waist. "'When did you make up your mind, Estrella?' she asked. "'You said you didn't want to command a ship, but when you were bargaining with Mufred for the village, you were very convincing. Mufred believed you. So did I.' "'It was an idea I had as we were sailing north.' when I still thought that Adramin was in command. At first, it was just a story that I hoped he would believe. I didn't want Elusive or Cygnus. Then. But when I said it, I meant it. Now you could have two ships. Adramin will have Elusive once she's been refurbished. Well, why aren't you happy? You love sailing. There's a lot more to it than that. You don't really command a ship. You command the people that sail her. Estrella, you do that. You've done it since you sailed Cygnus North, and before, or they'd never have obeyed you. Oh, you mean the mumbly-jumbly about the Chosen One. Cam must have... Cam, and Dabby, and Becky, and Walt, and from what I just saw, the whole ship's company all think you're... Well, well let's just say special. You can't deny it, Estrella. The only question is, what are you going to do about it? Well, for a start, I have no intention of sailing on forever, and I don't believe in prophecies. You don't have to. But if your crew does, and it helps, accept it. I... I know. The same way I know that there's more to life than hopelessly sailing on forever. But I also know that it's only a start. There has to be more. Lindy, when I was growing up in the village, Skarm believed that there had been a time when great ships traded up and down the coast. Abel told me the same thing. He'd voyaged along the coast south of Charton and Matris, and even Mufrid's piracy shows that there's more on land that survived from before to after. You mean like Matris and the village and all those little hamlets Gar and I visited? Even more than that, Lindy. More than Charton and the castle, too. Cities, perhaps. Maybe less than they were before, but still alive and still going forward, not just barely surviving year by year. And needing to be connected by ships that can navigate the oceans, said Lindy, her eyes wide with enthusiasm. Not just coastal fishing boats, but ships like Cygnus, led by navigators like you. And Dabby, said Estrella. But there's things I have to do first. Clean up after my family. 
Bring the boys home to mattress. Take Dabby to cat. Find out for certain if Gar was his father. Make sure that Sarah put Janice in her place, and if she hasn't, Lindy paused and looked at the sea for a contemplative moment and then turned back to Estrella. You can't fix everything, Estrella. And even if you could, you'd be stopping people from living their own lives and making their own mistakes. I know that, Lindy. But if I'm to be master, give orders, choose directions, then I must make changes in how the ships are run, what they do, how they're manned, how decisions get made. I want to give the crew back their ability to make choices, not just blindly serve an insane idea of sailing on forever. And I'm not sure how to do that. I don't want to be like Mufrid and Oron, keeping control with the occasional execution. He stared down onto the wake, wondering how many men had been plunged into the roiling water, even more hopelessly distant from the shoreline, now astern of Cygnus. Oron probably learned from his father, and Mufrid was sick in the head. He was going to... He was going to take you, and you stopped him. You nearly killed yourself doing it, too. I wanted you to be safe, but it was more than that. I wanted you, Lindy. She laid her hand on his cheek, turned his head towards her, looked into his eyes and spoke slowly. Estrella, I knew I wanted you when we were at the castle. I still do. Even more so, now you're so confident in yourself, and not just when everyone else doesn't know what to do next. She went on looking into his eyes, and for a long while neither looked away. Then Lindy was in his arms, and they were kissing as if they never intended to stop. Eventually she pushed herself back and looked at him, one eyebrow raised. Becky tells me that Kaus says there's a bigger bed that he could put here in the master's cabin, she said. How does that sound to you? Um, good idea, said Estrella. But, but nothing, Estrella, unless you don't want me along with you, in which case she moved away but Estrella held her tight. I do. I love you, Lindy. And I have from the first moment I saw you. I just didn't know it then. I want you, more than anything else. Wouldn't you rather be commanding this great ship all by yourself, without me? Never. Lindy, I need you with me. What about painting? Would you dump me if you could be painting instead of sailing? How could I paint without you? Anyone can mix paint. Lindy, you know that's not what I mean. Listen, there's this domed ceiling back at Mattress. We could paint it together. Finish what Gar started. You and me. In, in between voyages, that is. That sounds like a plan, Estrella. They stood with their arms around each other. They kissed without reservation or thought. And for a time out of time, that was all there was. Then Lindy chuckled. The crew will all think I'm a witch who's put a curse on you. Lindy, said Estrella as he pulled her close, the wandering is over. If there ever was a curse on the men of the sea, we've lifted it. Estrella looked over her shoulder, out of the stern scuttles at the coastline. He was no longer able to distinguish the gap through which the Molly had taken him on the voyage south. The village had disappeared hidden behind a seemingly continuous wall of cliffs, 
a line of white breakers chewing the rocks at their feet. You have been listening to the Estrella Trilogy, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. All three books are available in electronic and paper formats from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Chapters. Visit astreatrilogy.com for more about Astrea's world. This audio version is licensed under the United States Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0.